Hey, y'all. You're listening to Diagnosing Sitcoms and Movies, the DSM podcast. We help make mental health more comfortable by using Black movies and shows we know and love and culture to remove stigma. So join our convo with your host, Courtney Copeland, licensed mental health counselor. And Dr. B, licensed professional counselor. We're brothers. We're happy and we're singing and we're colored. Give me a high five. All right, cut and print. Beautiful guys. Dynamite. That is... Hey y'all, this episode we are going to be jumping into the 1995 through 1999 hit classic sitcom television show, The Wayans Brothers. Written, directed, co-produced, and starred in by Sean and Marlon Wayans. Can I just say how much I just love The Wayans Brothers and everything that they do? I feel like they shaped my childhood. (laughs) Yeah, they did, especially... In the 90s, um, you know, they were doing a lot at that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had more money, uh, literally, in <laughs> <laughs> uh, living color. So they were they were uh, really like doing their thing. And then, of course, um, I think it kind of took its cap with white girls, in my opinion. I think that's where they kind of hit their climax. And that was that. <laughs> <laughs> I've loved it from the start. There was everything good about In Living Color and just everything after it just set the bar and everything was equally as amazing to me. <laughs> yes, it was everything. Um, you know, what What was funny is as, as I was watching this show, I was like, this is probably the most raunchy show, television show at that time, especially for us in our recording because I'm like, proud family. I'm like, oh, um, you know, uh, Moesha. And then Family Matters, right? So these are all wholesome. You learn a lesson kind of thing. Um, and then you go to Pops with bang, bang, bang. <laughs> it was still very wholesome at times. <laughs> there were still so many lessons learned. I feel like I learned so many more lessons here than I did from Proud Family from <laughs> from Family Matters. I feel like they got me. They spoke my language. And I said, you know what? I understand it the way you say it. <laughs> what was so dope because this was like, this was New York, you know? And so there was that representation in there, the way they dressed. I mm-hmm. mean, they didn't, they did not hold back from being authentically Black. Oh, ah, I did that on purpose. <laughs> yes, and I, I think that's what made it so enjoyable. And then just like the random shenanigans that they got into was just like how <laughs> And the physical comedy. I love how physical the show was. I love... <laughs> Marlon was like a slinky. That guy is so... He is so flexible. I was like, yo, he got naked style yeah. Like, <laughs> he really did. <laughs> the way he would get down on the floor with the knee. And like, he was always showing off that little skinny body of his. I love it. <laughs> I had such a crush on him back then. Once he cut his hair, like around the third season, I was like, oh my God, Violet is so cute. <laughs> and then I grew out of that. But um, <laughs> he's a handsome man. But of course, yes. I, I was crushing on Sean around that time. 
I think the older I got, the more I was like, oh, okay, Sean. Yes. He he was so cute to me, even from the beginning. I was like, oh, yeah, he's so handsome. But then after watching, and then also Scary Movie, right? Wasn't that the, Mm -hmm. yeah. So with Scary Movie, he, with him playing that role, uh, what was that? Who was With that? Ray, when he was Ray and everybody. Like, yeah. he just played into the, the, the gay role so much so that well. people really started to question his sexuality. Yes, yes. And there were a few times when I was watching it now, especially, like, in the earlier seasons, I was like, okay, that's, that's a questionable remark. You know? <laughs> or, like, oh, okay, okay. That's but I feel like everybody made questionable remarks. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, I feel like leads us into my <laughs> my favorite quote, and I honestly don't know if I could do it without laughing. <laughs> right, so when um they bring the temp tones back together, and Pops is excited to see everyone, and he meets uh, what he thinks is a woman, and she turns to him and says, "I'm Albert." <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny to me. <laughs> and Fox is like, what did she just say? <laughs> and Sean started rubbing his hands together. She said, I'm out. <laughs> Yo, they had some wild moments in here. Um, but I think for me, my my quotables are more like the everyday, like episodes, like the Every, I call it every day, right? Because mm-hmm. it seems like each episode is like a new day. Um, <laughs> with me, it's like TC and him saying, Fitness! We talking fitness! <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and Marlon, and you know this. <laughs> Make and it hot <laughs> In his mouth, like the way he would say it. I just love Marlon. And um, of course, it's <laughs> Yes, of course. And don't tell nobody. <laughs> and you have to do the fingers when you say it. <laughs> so those are, those are like my, like, you know, every episode, like, or when I think of the Wayans Brothers, those are my my come my go to. But you know what? Of course, you it's not a quotable if you don't include. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that it had its own song. What's that sound echoes through the night? What that sound echoed in the night? In the background, bang, 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 bang. And Pops, man, oh, rest in peace, John Witherspoon. Like, I'm like, they must have had so much fun with that guy. Like, because he also seemed like he enjoyed himself in a lot of that as well, you know? Um, Just being creative with them and, and, and being silly. Oh my gosh, they are so silly. Yes. Like, you can tell when Sean is trying to hold his laugh too. 
he is not good at stopping the smile. <laughs> but it was funny. Yeah. And they were such a good fit together. And um, yeah. the, ex- the executives actually didn't want John Witherspoon. They didn't feel like he was right for the part. They wanted, I think, wow. like Danny Glover to play their father. And Sean and Marlon, like, said, no, I don't see it. And they fought to have John Witherspoon play that role. So I'm really glad that they stuck with what they felt was funny, what they felt was right. Because I feel like we got comedy magic from it. We would not have Bang 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 without. <laughs> Absolutely. Even don't tell nobody. I feel like that was it. <laughs> but don't tell nobody. And, and then, you know, when he, and he always pulling off his belt to whoop up. <laughs> and then also I have a question. Like, why did Pop always have these intricate outfits that like, he, I feel like he went out his way to make sure it didn't match. <laughs> because that's how they put it together at the polyester palace. <laughs> you got to coordinate. <laughs> Not polyester palace. <laughs> and they be having two for one deals and so he can get it on together. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess he, he was stuck in the 70s with them white shoes. And I just thought it was so funny every time him and TC would be around each other and they would <laughs> either have on the same outfit or compliment each other's outfit. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, TC was like, he was a character like I've never seen, but I don't think there's a character that I could, no, I take that back. I could compare him to one of the characters from Martin, but that's a whole nother episode. That's a whole nother episode. Um, But thinking in that time, like there was no, there were no characters like them. In my opinion, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. There were no characters like them, you know? Um, D, even D, um, in her presence, in her persona, you know, mm-hmm. I, yes, I may be a full-figured woman, okay, but you will not disrespect me, but you and find out, D wasn't that full fit, like, D had body, she had curves, like, she was body, like, body. She was body. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> I was but sad she that she was always trying to like lose weight and stuff. I was like, "You look good, y'all tripping." <laughs> to that whole image thing that we have with with weight and women, women. I feel like women have been like bamboozled in our entire existence into thinking that we're supposed to be a certain figure or a certain shape, and then you know what's supposed to be sexually appealing and all these things. It comes from technically comes from a man telling us that we need mm. to look a certain way or expectation. So it was it was unfortunate because I caught myself doing it too. I catch myself doing it. I do. It, and I have to remember too, it was the 90s and it was the era of the magazine and the supermodel and you had like Kate Mosses who looked like they were about yeah. to pass out and for some reason that was the image of beauty and yeah. Uh, ew. Yeah. <laughs> or like Sean says, ew. <laughs> And so it's like now when when you have someone like Lizzo and, you know, just even women just embracing their full body figure uh, with Meg the Stallion. Huh. Baby is a stallion. That is not a metaphor that is needed to be taken lightly, baby. That is <laughs> full figured woman. OK. And she Beyonce and she, feeling finally being excited about being thick and celebrating that she's thick. Yes, like we need to celebrate our curves and our and our and our bodies because there are people who are who are doing these things to get the bodies that we have. So tell it. 
<laughs> Tell the and truth and shame it. the devil, girl. Oh, you said it, not me. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> I think, what was one of your favorite episodes? <laughs> oh, I would have to like really take a second to think because I, it might be the Tim Tones episode just because <laughs> of, you know, I like a good musical. And so yes. there's songs, there's performances, there's a doo-wop group <laughs> as I love. There is I'm Albert. <laughs> yes. And so I think... I think, I think- <laughs> that might be one of my favorite. I'm sure I'm missing another one where afterwards when we're done recording, I'm like, damn it, I should have said this. But I think yeah. I'll go for right now. I'll go with the Tim Tones. <laughs> what about you? Oh, it's hard. I'm I'm torn between the one, either the Afro Cab, because the Afro Cab <laughs> spoke a lot. It, it had a lot to it because the Afro Cab was like, this is for the black man, not the other man. And like, I was like, oh, wow. Like that, and that first season, they did that a lot. They mm-hmm. talked. They talked a lot, like a Farrakhan and and that type of um, I'm black and I'm proud. That type of tone and movement. So that was really interesting to me. So that caught my my attention when Marlon when Marlon was like being this um, artiste by this random woman. <laughs> uh, or when what do you call hero? that? I call it the dark side of the moon. <laughs> And it was a painting of his butt. <laughs> he literally just sat in the paint and sat on a canvas, and it was that's it. it. Was art. Took his took his temple and boot and was like smack. <laughs> it's so to me. I just I think anytime any I don't know any episode where Marlon is actually like seen as something different than a fuck up, and you know because he's especially when he's like when he saves the kid saved the kid, even though Sean saved the kid that got hit by the car and takes credit for it. Uh, I was like, yay, go Marlon! And he's like, aww, you didn't do anything. <laughs> you had your moment, buddy. So anytime, But yeah, they any taught episode. us a good a moral in that episode as well about what a hero is and that the H should stand for honesty. <laughs> Sean said help. Marla said something else. I'm going to go with Odyssey because that was the moral that I got from that uh, episode. (laughs) And I feel like just watching it like now again for uh, this episode, I feel like I'm able to recognize how much the Wayans brothers, Sean and Marlon, Kenan and Damon, all of them have um, been such an inspiration for me because Mm -hmm. they, each of them felt like this is something that isn't being done and it's not representing me. And so they Mm -hmm. took that and created their own. And when the avenues weren't supporting them, they then they're going to executive produce like they worked so hard to to make it happen. And now that I guess we're content creators, (laughs) I don't know how that happened, but here we are. (laughs) It is very inspirational to see like these are the people who I saw and I didn't realize that that's what they were doing at that time but they showed me that it could be done. And so I love when we do episodes that feature the Wayans because I just like to be able to like give them their flowers now because they deserve it. Yeah. And I'm realizing how much they really did influence me in my life and how much stupid stuff I do that is from this show. <laughs> yes, I didn't realize how much I like I was with Marlon and like the randomness. Like when he, when Pop got sick and he rang that bell, he got outside and started bringing it. <laughs> I was like, 
That is something that I would do. <laughs> Just be annoying. Like, I, yes, I am definitely more so like Marlon in some of my my mannerisms when I want to be annoying. And I feel like I still say uh, draws to this day. Like, I don't call underwear underwear. They're draws because from, on this show, they call them penny draws. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I don't do this in my real life, but I just wanted to highlight because I just felt like it was important to acknowledge um, the celebration and the camaraderie that they found uh, exemplified in gang culture and how they brought that to the show with all of the uses of cuckoo. <laughs> 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 Yes, yes. You know, and I was like, where did we get that? Because as kids, or like even now, I'd be like, Coo-coo! like when you try to like signal on something. <laughs> Why is that the first sound that I make? The Wayans Brothers. Thank you. Th- thank you for giving me my culture. Thank you. Mm. Yes. Finger snaps, finger snaps, finger snaps. All right. So. Um, did you know that the show was initially supposed to be called Brother to Brother? No. Oh, time the out, okay? Time the out. <laughs> <laughs> did you realize that on HBO Max, the intro was different? I, I did not like it. I was uh, looking for a Tribe Called Quest, uh, a, a electric relaxation, and it was... <laughs> Something about a girl. They was talking to. I don't know what it was, but I. It was okay. But I it wasn't what I wanted. Yeah, I was like, "What happened?" And I tried to Google what happened. Like, I thought maybe Tribe Called Quest took the rights away, or like they had special rights on it. So maybe HBO Max wasn't trying to give Tribe Called Quest they paper. And then they put a different intro on it, like the pilot. Maybe they kept the pilot song, and then. Which I don't know. I, I was trying to find something. I was hoping you had something about that. But yes, friends, it is totally different on HBO Max. Still the same show, but that intro song, you ain't going to be bumping it like you like to. Yeah, no, it wasn't there. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I just also wanted to give a big shout out to this show because I don't know if you remember or not, but this show basically kicked off the WB network. And so it was the first of the four sitcoms that premiered as part of their original Wednesday night kind of two hour lineup that helped launch the network, which was Unhappily Ever After, which I really liked that show. The Parenthood, I really liked that show too, with Robert Towson. And if you could find out where to stream that, please let me know because I want to watch it. (laughs) This show and um, something called Muscle. I don't remember that show though. But this show helped kick off the WB. And so I just think it's so shisty how they did them filthy and kind of canceled the show without a finale episode and all of that after, bitch, they built this. But you know, yeah. neither here nor there. Yeah. It's one of those shows, like, it's so, it's a classic. It's such a classic. It's, it's almost like, it's up there with Martin. I think like, I think we all have a top like, Five black shows that we we rock with, mm-hmm. and I think Marlon, uh, the Wayans brothers, is definitely one of them. But like we talk about, they just don't get enough credit for a lot of the things that they pioneered and how many actors and actresses that they propelled, and they themselves kind of. And this made this is my opinion. I'm not saying that this is fact, but it seemed like they kind of took the back 
like, you know, stage and with producing more than mm -hmm. being, you know, on stage front with a lot of their work. But I was so happy to see Marlon come out with his show. What is it? Is it Marlon? It was it called Marlon. That show was hilarious. I was watching it as it was airing on television, like tuning in each week to watch it. Yes. It was, it made me miss Sean though, because I like, I like their balance. Because you know, Marlon will go, like, here's the line. Marlon has to go on the other Way side of it. And he Way has, so I liked their balance that was in this show with, Sean being more of the straight man or Sean pulling Marlon in when he see him about to go too far. Yes. He's his conscience. You know, he's like, hey, come on, be responsible. <laughs> but then also Marlon is also telling Sean, hey, Sean, loosen up a bit. Have mm -hmm. fun. Enjoy yourself. Like, why are, you, why are you being so serious? I love their ballads. And so that was non-existent on the Marlon show. And so you got all of it. You got, that's what I wanted you to do. <laughs> <laughs> He is something else. I love him as a character. I definitely love him as a character. All right. So let's go ahead and jump into these um, diagnoses. So let's start with uh, the patriarch of the family, the head of the household. Uh, well, outside of their household, the head of the family <laughs> with Pops Williams. Yes. Did you have a diagnosis for Pops? You know, I struggle with this one, too. Again, it's black males, um, and we talk about this sometimes in our in our episodes as far as like black men being overdiagnosed and blah blah blah. So I, I I really did struggle with that. I I wondered though about his his marriage because <laughs> he was never because we never wife. saw his the their mom ever on any episode. She never made an appearance. We never even saw a picture of her. <laughs> Was always where was she? Um, Atlantic City, <laughs> or at home, or somewhere other when they was at. It, it, I just thought it was so funny when <laughs> Marla was like, "You got all the good stuff, Sean. You look like pops. I look like mom, Sean." <laughs> and then it's like, ha 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 ha. Oh, what does mom look like then? Because <laughs> we haven't seen her. <laughs> so as usual. I will uh, address that I use my oppressive tool given by the uh, by the man to symptomize our behaviors <laughs> to build for insurance and make money. Uh, the, the, the podcast is called Diagnosis, Sitcoms and Movies, and I'm a diagnose. So <laughs> getting into the first one, I will be the bearer of bad news here and say that I feel that... Um, we could potentially diagnose uh, Pop's alcohol use disorder. While I feel like it is not as severe as it would have been when they were children, based on the things that they say, um, we can say in remission and all of those things. But there are multiple times where they dress that Pop's drinking was actually a problem. While Pop's always says, you know, a little, little taste, a little taste every now and then, that wrong with a little taste. But, um, <laughs> There were several times where they referred to him as a drunk. When Pops ran for mayor, they brought up his alcoholism. When uh, the delivery truck, the meat delivery truck was messed up and <laughs> Pops said that his liver was rotted and Marlon thought he was talking about his health. He said, it's the liquor, Shaw. It's the liquor. I told him to stop drinking. <laughs> <laughs> when Sean had the uh, the Sididi girlfriend, 
and they took uh, Pops to the party and he was trying to get him to, I guess, guess the wine based off of the smell and taste. And Sean was like, well, he is a drunk. Like it was referred to multiple times. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to some of the stories that they tell when they were younger, Pops always was drinking. And like if they have flashbacks and they, Marlon and Sean dress up as kids, Pops always has like a flask or a glass or a drink or a beverage of some kind. And so I felt like while it did not at all, at all, at all impede him from loving his kids and being a good father and teaching his sons from right and wrong, it had no effect on that. As we can see, they he really loved his kids. He was really a good father to them. They always talked about how good of a father that he was. <sighs> he had a drinking problem. <laughs> and there was the one time where he was like, you can always tell a closet drinker by the way the hands shake. And then he put his glass down and his hands were shaking. And he was like, oh, my arthritis is acting up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, I, I've never picked up on those. Wow. You know, the one thing that I did pick up on was his gambling. Mm-hmm. He did play poker. And he, and he said, I don't play that game no more because of I forget the nickname that they get he went by with his poker and when his, yeah. when he was playing back in the day and basically I wonder if that is also a contributing factor to his is his addiction as well with gambling so hmm. all right all right definitely I agree I agree but I think that pops was uh the <laughs> I feel like everyone says, oh, well, uh, like Bill Cosby and them are America's father. And I don't know nobody like Bill Cosby, but I know lots of people like Pops. And so I loved having him as a representation of a father figure. I loved how much he loved on his boys. I'm a little concerned about how much he used to whoop them as they were grown adults. I don't feel like it, once you're taller than your parents, you should still be getting whoopings. But you know, that's just my parenting style. You know, it's to each his own, everybody different. <laughs> but I think that I really appreciated the representation of a real man, a flawed man, a loving man, and all of the things that they showed Pops being able to do and him caring so much about his wife and wanting to do things for her and make her happy as well as see his boys happy. So, um, with Pop's uh, possible history of alcohol use, um, I felt that a lot of the kind of roles that Sean and Marlon both fell into were a result, kind of a result of that, because there are some um, adult adult childhood roles of alcoholic children. There's like a clearly defined model around that. Um, in the mental health field and especially in the uh, substance abuse field. And it's, I feel like we actually are witnessing like Sean and Marlon going through the, that recovery of that. I feel like the, the, the show kind of progresses with them reaching a certain age and growing and developing and moving outside of the roles that they kind of played um, throughout their, their upbringing and how they grew up. And so I was really excited once they, especially once we got to like the last couple of seasons where we really started to see them kind of bloom and grow and develop and try new things. Uh, but as far as their actual roles within the family, I kind of um, pegged Sean as the hero. Mm. And so with the hero, this child is performance oriented and they go, uh, 
kind of, they kind of move through life fast as a way of like avoiding their feelings to help them feel safe. They are always like, look how good I am doing. So obviously there's nothing wrong with our family because I'm doing well. And so they often get their needs met through approval of their accomplishments and present a good image for the family. And they usually don't cause too much trouble. They're, they appear as the looking good kid and there's nothing going on here. And their greatest fear is of doing something wrong. And they tend to be overly responsible of the family and they have to be right. And despite being around everyone, they sometimes feel isolated. And so I felt like that's something that we could kind of see with Sean, with him being kind of controlling over a little bit over Marlon and super protective over him. And I felt like that was him acting out that role. And I feel like as the seasons kind of grow, he starts to let Marlon Marlon has to push back and Marlon has to say like, yo, kid, like this is my life. Are you going to let me live it? Like, I feel like I heard him say that more more than one episode. And Sean kind of, it's hard for him at first, but I feel like he starts to let that rain go and start to focus more on his own life and what he wants to do because he isn't happy with his current situation and he does want more out of life. And so he starts to focus on himself more so that he can build and let Marlon and um, Pops kind of do their own thing more. Yeah, and so when you say that, it, I'm looking at the um, Adlerian overview of both birth order and characteristics. <clears throat> and for the oldest, so with the family situation, um, the oldest is dethroned by the next child, uh, has to learn to share. Parent expectations are usually very high, often given responsibility and expected to set an example. Um, and so the child's characteristics um, definitely line up with, with Sean and being the oldest and that he became very authoritarian and strict, especially with him running the, the, the newsstand and, you know, making sure that Marlon got up for work and <laughs> took on a lot of authoritative type of, um, you know, duties, parent, parental type of duties with Marlon. Phil's power is his right. So him feeling like, oh, well, I get to call this because I'm the oldest brother, stupid, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And the way he says stupid, too. Yeah, stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can become helpful if encouraged. And so like like that example, as far as him saving that kid, you know, from the car accident, he can be very helpful. And and even with Dee, you know, wanting to, to see her feel good about herself and be happy with herself. Um, you can see that that he cares about people. Then if you look at the youngest, has many mothers and fathers. Um, I see that with everyone just kind of just trying to over, like look after Marlon, you know, mm-hmm. making sure they, they have a protective stance with him with a lot of things. Even um, D. Even, yeah, even D. Older children try to educate them. And so that's always the case with Marlon. He was always being educated or kind of schooled on certain things never dethroned um so but the characteristics is wants bigger wants to be bigger than others so a lot of times the reason why marlon i guess i i felt for him is because i'm also young the youngest um and i wanted him to to not be the fuck up (laughs) (laughs) because he tried to be bigger than others that was his that was at his demise you know because he's trying to (laughs) And it's just like, stay in your lane. Like, that's, that's not you. That's not who you are. <laughs> so, that makes me think of an episode with Q-Sweat and Thea. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
Oh my gosh, that is probably another one of my favorites. Oh my god. <laughs> Did I forget that one? <laughs> so, um, and then he says, may have huge plans that never work out. So that makes me think of the Afro cab. Like he had some, <laughs> he had some really big plans. He was picking out the Afro at the top. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he usually has big plans, you know, being him when he was an but artist. The Afro actually moved. I was like, is that real hair? <laughs> oil sheen on it <laughs> oh my god all because he couldn't get a cab even though he bent down in the street like a little scarecrow <laughs> please don't hit me <laughs> the, and then it also says for the characteristics the characteristics is that they can stay the baby and frequently yeah. spoiled mm-hmm. and I think that because of the dynamic and the setup of the family they allowed Marlon to stay this way. They allowed him to be childish in some ways because it was just like, well, you know, it's just him being the baby. And at some point, everyone had to develop and realize, okay, well, we can't continue to baby him because it's, it's affecting his his ability to make certain decisions and 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 live an adult life. Because in, in, to some degree, it was like they were enabling him to continue the the behaviors that he had. And I definitely feel like um, all of that came to play and I kind of pegged him as um, the mascot. And so this is the piece at any cost child. They are often uh, take on the role of the comedian to diffuse a potentially volatile situation. And they may not be taken seriously by their family or their peers, which I definitely feel like nobody took Marlon seriously. Like when he wanted to be a model. And Sean got so mad at him until he got ended up getting taken himself. <laughs> right. They don't often try to cause trouble, but they and they try to also act as like mediators in the family. So when different things go wrong, they try to make sure that everyone is okay. And they are often um, known to make decisions based on fear rather than what is best for them. And I think we saw that a lot with Marlon getting scared or being afraid of someone or something and making a decision based off that instead of what might actually be best for him. Like when Shank said that uh, he had to marry his sister and (laughs) she said, Marlon, is that why you're marrying me? And he said, no, I marry you because I love you so much. Marlon really had some issues, but I didn't really know what to diagnose him with. I mean, yeah, he had a range of, he had a range of issues. I diagnosed Um, him with a couple things. (laughs) Okay, what was it? Okay, so first I am deeply disturbed by all of uh, Marlon's paraphilic uh, sexual dysfunction issues. And so I did diagnose him with voyeuristic disorder. because all of the trying to look up girl skirts, all of the peep shows, oh. the donkey shows, the looking in people's uh, windows, the it just just all of that and the yeah. <laughs> and so I did diagnose him with voyeuristic disorder. Um, and for uh, everyone, that means basically you like to watch uh, whether the person is consenting or unconsenting. Um, that does not matter, which was problematic. In which Marlon was low key a creep. <laughs> While we all love him, he was basically a creep. He was looking up people's skirts in public. That's not okay. And I also diagnosed him with ADHD. 
combined presentation with a moderate severity. So basically inattentive and hyperactivity. Um, and I felt like that could be potentially why he did struggle so much in uh, school. They talk multiple times about him spending six years in high school or how many years <laughs> he spent in the second grade. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Marlon. <laughs> <laughs> and I, um, I felt like that could be a representation of that as well. I did feel like um, with the role that you were talking about him being the youngest and him being the mascot, he did kind of stay in that childlike uh, phase and which did help him when he was about to be the stepdaddy to Dexter when he had the girlfriend who had a child. It did help him get along really well with kids. The one diagnosis that I actually did end up giving Sean my, he kind of blamed that on Marlon because of Marlon's irresponsibility of him still being in that childlike stage, whether he was a child and as an adult, because Marlon was still like just so childlike, like never having to grow up. Uh, he never hardly ever paid rent. Sean mm -hmm. mentioned that several times. Sean gave Bye. him the job before that pops mm -hmm. had given him a job. And like mm -hmm. everyone was still, like you said before, was taking care of Marlon. Um, so yeah, while I love Marlon and he makes me so happy and we do get to see him grow up. We do get to see him start to take more responsibility for himself. We mm -hmm. do see him try to get an apartment. He just had a slumlord. And so that didn't work out well. <laughs> and when he tried to move in with White Mike, that didn't work out either because uh -huh. him and Sean are so, uh, are so close and they basically need each other for that balance. We did see Marlon takes several att attempts to kind of establish himself in the family as an adult. But like we know in any family system, there's going to be a bit of homeostasis where that family tries to keep everybody in their in their kind of basic roles. Um, they can mm -hmm. all move up together. But if one person moves before everyone else, it is going to be a bit difficult and they're going to try to swing them back the other way. And so mm -hmm. <laughs> they do kind of mm -hmm. try to keep Marlon in the baby role. <laughs> they do. They do. Because of the natural, well, I wouldn't say natural order of things, but it's their natural order of things mm -hmm. for their norm. Um, yeah. But to go back, the only thing that I did diagnose Sean with was specific phobia um, other, which would be the formal category in the DSM, but basically addressing his commitment anxiety is how they coined it on the show where um, <laughs> that girl left him at prom and he went screaming and crying. <laughs> And then um, even though we do see Sean, the, the the series starts off with Sean being in a committed relationship. We do see him struggle with relationships afterwards, which is kind of um, it kind of goes along with commitment phobia, though, because most people do uh, with commitment issues. They actually do long to be in. They want to have those long term connections with people, but it's their overwhelming anxiety that might prevent them from staying in any relationship for too long. And so what I think what might have happened with Lisa, who was the original girlfriend, was he did mm -hmm. want to maintain that long term connection with her. He really did love her because when she broke up with him, he was really upset. And, but mm -hmm. I just wonder if the, the commitment anxiety didn't take place there as well and him wanting that relationship. So he's presenting it as he wants it, but he could have been doing things to start to sabotage that relationship. Like oh, the fact that it took so long for him to meet her dad. Remember, yeah. Marlon had to get stapled in the butt. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And I was like, what kind of doctor system is this? Y'all not checking social security numbers or nothing? <laughs> Just because of this episode, it was like, what's your last four? Your date of birth? Your la your first and last name. Okay. Just need to make sure you are who you say you are. Because you know that episode from the Wayans Brothers? Yeah. We, we had that happen. 
We really had that. <laughs> Sean and Marlon made managed care get they act together. <laughs> Marlon's like, let me get your insurance. Sean, yeah, sure. Tell them your name is Sean. Remember, stupid. <laughs> That's all he had to remember. And that's all it took. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but that was how Sean ended up even meeting her father after they had they had been in a relationship for so long. And I just wonder if Sean wasn't doing other things to, you know, kind of sabotage that relationship from it going further, even though he really did want to be in a relationship. And then Lisa ended up breaking up with him because of the actions that he might have been doing. And then we see later on him just struggling and just turning girls down because the one girl had dandruff. And he said, every time I rub my fingers through her hair, it was like making a snowball. And so he what? broke up with her. I loved it. The funniest ones to me is like when they would clown people to their face, like it would be an extra or somebody. And they would be like, move out the way, Tweety Birds, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Robert Thompson, let go of my brother. <laughs> oh, man, they went in on them. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, but Marlon being stuck in that childhood place, that actually uh, was the reason that they kind of blamed Marlon for Sean having this, um, this anxiety. But it also is what helped relieve it because we do see him just, okay, well, then I'm going to build you a prom. <laughs> oh, we're going to make one and we're going to play pretend and you're going to have a prom. And he invites mm-hmm. the girl back who was his day, who actually was one of the fly girls from In Living Color. And so I thought that was uh, funny that they brought her for that episode. And then they had Sean BSW1 again, because that's what he started off as on a yeah. living color as the DJ. So I thought that that was super cute and it touched my heart. But um, Marlon was able to help Sean through it. And I just appreciate their relationship so much because like they were super affectionate towards each other. They were super protective of each yeah. other. They were able to be emotional with each other. They cried together. They hugged each other. They kissed each other on one episode <laughs> about men kissing. And um, But most importantly, they apologized to each other. When they mm-hmm. knew that they were wrong, they would have their moment and they would really apologize and show remorse and say, I shouldn't have done that. I should have done this. And I felt mm-hmm. like that was really important for people to see, especially to see two extremely handsome, extremely tall, beautiful black men, like really be able to be emotional with each other, admit when they were wrong and move forward and grow together. And so I thought that that was, I really liked, I, although it was it was kind of creepy and it was kind of weird, their relationship, I still, I really liked and appreciated their relationship together. And while they were super, there were lots of um, <laughs> anti-gay, anti-trans jokes and yeah. different things like that, which I feel like, if only the Wayans brothers did it, like they do it differently than I feel like other people do it. And I don't feel like theirs comes from an evil place as much as it does from other comedians and places in the mm-hmm. world. But I feel like despite that, they pushed a lot of things that men don't do because that's gay. You know, like a lot of those stereotypes, they were always hugging each other. They were always kissing each other. They were always up under each other. They were always telling each other how they felt. They were like, they were always doing those things. And I was like, this this is just so awesome. I appreciate them. I, I guess that's where that wholesome television kind of comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but, you know, and it complements Marlon's raunchiness and kind of fish behaviors <laughs> and his infatuation with sex and women. Um, so, yeah, it was balanced with that. <laughs> <laughs> and you could see there, you could see the authentic 
brotherhood in, in mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it didn't have to be played on. Like, you, you know, and I think that's why there's such a connection and it's authentic. You know, um, had they been two separate, you know, two actors that just were supposed to act as if they're brothers, I think the storyline would have been totally different. The character dynamic would have been different. Um, but because they're actually brothers and they're seen, actually, they're seen in every episode, mm-hmm. every single episode. Him and Sean, well, along with Pops, are the main three characters that are always consistent in every episode. Um, but more so, I think it's just because they're brothers. Yeah, they're and really with brothers. girl, when you write they're the happy. script, you get to write yourself into every scene. <laughs> Better be at every, let me be in the scene, even if it's for two seconds. <laughs> I to get my money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, girl. Okay, so speaking of business, I di- I didn't fully diagnose TC. I gave him, um, I listed him under other categories that might, you know, um, be cause for clinical attention with him and his problems related to legal circumstances because oh. of him always. <laughs> He's been involved with the law. I just don't understand how somebody so pretty could be in so much trouble all the time. Because <laughs> he's a con artist. <laughs> yes, so problems related to crime or interaction with the legal system. And so they talk about him, you know, previously doing time and then Marlon dropped dime on him and he ended up going back to jail for a crime that he didn't commit because Marlon thought that he robbed their house and he didn't. <laughs> and then um, he had the community service where he ended up falling in love with D. <laughs> and anytime like a police officer would like just be around TC would be like alright got to go <laughs> okay he ain't play see <laughs> he know better he's like listen uh huh I got I got two strikes okay uh huh this third one gonna get me in there for real for real alright I'll see y'all later I'm not playing these games with y'all that's my cue guys <laughs> it's so interesting that they included that for for including like the black experience and the, the black um, perspective and, and being a, the legal person, a person that has, you know, been in the legal system and their mannerisms and behaviors with cops at this time, especially 1995 19, to 1999, so much had, had happened, you know, with people and the legal, black people specifically in the legal system, because at that time, Rodney King had happened, OJ. OJ happened during that time so much and so it just it helped you didn't do it (laughs) (laughs) the glove didn't fit must have quit but yeah and I I like the fact that yeah TC was like almost a caricature and he had the legal involvement but it wasn't overplayed so when it did come to um Marlon suspected him to be the one who broke into their apartment you kind of got to see another humanistic side or human side of TC where he was like so you think it's me just because I've done time before. And we it caused us to look at the stereotypes that people might have for those um, who have uh, been to jail or have involvement with the legal system before. Like they become us- usual suspects and it isn't mm. fair. And it is what perpetuates the cycle. And it, it's why involvement stays in a cycle for so long. It, it They think that if you follow somebody so much then you know what I mean it, it's bound to happen and so yeah. that on top of bringing people in just because they have records isn't fair treating people differently because they have records isn't fair and so we mm-hmm. got to see that side of it as well which I thought was really important and I thought was really smart by the Wayans brothers I just I love the way that they write because it's they're plum fools like they are 
freaking ridiculous. But if you wait long enough, there's going to be a message. If you wait long enough <laughs> in the goofiness, there's going to be a little gem in there where you see like actual black experience where you might not see a TC walking down the street at platforms, but you're going to see somebody being treated unfairly because they have a prison record. Like, <laughs> And it's so true, you know? And I, I was listening to a podcast or NPR, and they were talking about the fact that they're, with AI and, and technology kind of increasing and people losing their jobs it, mm-hmm. uh, or being somewhat replaced by these types of, of technologies um, in their workplace, they talked about the criminal system actually using it and that the uh, there's the uh, algorithm based off of that person's crime that they use to determine or predict that person being a re- like a repeat offender a repeat offender yes and um that's not totally accurate you know why are you getting a computer or like this this uh algorithm to determine the outcome of, cr- of criminals this is to keep people in the in the criminal system you know, and I think that's the same thing. It, like, I wondered if that algorithm also has black male that, that is a part of this equation that mm-hmm. makes him a, a repeat offender, you know? And so- or more likely. Things, yeah. These are really things that we have to start looking into um, more as AI and technology are, are kind of coming into our workforce. But that's like a whole nother conversation. As we were. <laughs> no, it is. It, but I think it's I think it's a valid point. And I think it, it you're removing a level of humanity from somebody when you do that, because you're taking out what God gave us, which is free will. You're removing that from the equation. You're removing out whether or not that person has a quality support system. You're moving mm-hmm. out. You're removing that person's life experiences. You're you're taking in, you know, out of context who this person is and and their surroundings and the people who love them and they love. Like it's you're removing that from that individual, which I mm-hmm. think is a part of what the criminal justice system does in um, stripping the humanity away mm-hmm. from people mm-hmm. and just viewing them as bad, which isn't yeah. the case. And the even action. if they are. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's not the person, it's the action. And even if they are, but even if they are bad, your purpose is to rehabilitate. So why aren't okay. you doing that? How about you focus on what you're supposed to be doing? But you know, I'm gonna get off that soapbox, but we can stay in the criminal justice element and look at Dee's character, who was the security guard for the Nita Meyer building. She was fierce in that body yaddy yaddy with her little security suit. I love it. She looked good in that suit, child. <laughs> Yeah, she was a and her hair was always on point. Point. Like Literally. never out of place. <laughs> Braids popping. Always. I was like, man. And so I did not fully, I did not diagnose D. I really just felt like, I felt like she might have had a, well, I felt like she did have a low self-esteem. But I did feel like even that could potentially have come from her family of origin as well with her. um, We see her younger sister being super successful and being the highlight of the family and Dee kind of having to play the role of staying home, taking care of her mother after retirement and being that stable person where I feel like that kind of I I wonder if because we don't get um, enough layers there. um, I wonder if that kind of took some of these expectations for herself away because she felt like she had to be a caregiver for her mother. And what she really wanted to do was be a caregiver and be a parent. But I also feel like, again, 
the Wayans brothers are tying in the um, the real life experiences where mm-hmm. most of us are are taking on that caretaking role usually after a certain point in our in our parents' lives, you know. Um, where it's like, well, who else is gonna do it, right? And then when you, when you talk about the siblings, yeah, the oldest one is like, well, I raised y'all, so it ain't me. <laughs> I'm out. And I think it also depends on the sibling order to, to determine who's gonna be the one that's gonna be the caregiver in some in some respects. Who doesn't have like the most demanding job and, and things like that mm. come into play. And so I think. I'm not saying that it's like being a caretaker isn't universal, but you I feel like it's seen more prominently in the in the in a black family. Um Oh, because you know we can't put nobody in no nursing home. Oh, we going we exactly. are getting dogged out, we put somebody in a nursing home. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you you rather have that person live with you in your home than to put them in a nursing home. You rather make yourself uncomfortable. And from my experience, and this is again my experience and looking on on my worldview, a lot of the times it is the black woman that is taking on the role of being the caregiver, and and also being mom or also being a, a hardworking woman in the workforce. And so it just shows the the many roles that black women play, and that just so happened to be the role was to be a caretaker. And I feel that being a caretaker is extremely emotionally taxing. And a lot of people feel um, going into it, they're aware that it's a lot of work, but I don't know if everyone is always aware of the emotional tax that it takes on people. Um, And I feel like they have to learn that as they go. And sometimes people feel like, well, this is my family member. This is what I have to do. And you are are, uh, valid in those feelings. There's just not the expectation of what you have to do to also take care of yourself when you decide to take on that role. And I just... um, wish that there were more more widely accepted like respite care or just different things for black people in our community who do take on that caretaker role like as a more source of support because even what happens in a lot of families from just from what i've seen and i can speak solely on my family this doesn't have to be addictive of anyone else is that sometimes people feel like okay you take on that caretaker role so then everyone else is like oh well such and such got it like they got oh, it. They taking care of mama. Right. Like, no, that's that's fine. <laughs> and yeah, they don't always know everything that goes on. Help. Yeah. It's like and sometimes the, the hard part is like asking for help, you know, mm-hmm. and, and saying, Well, I set this up, I put this on myself, you know, I can't really ask for a break, I can't ask for help, you know, and, and so it puts even more pressure to to mm-hmm. to be this person for them. And then also there's like uh feelings of guilt, probably feelings of resentment. You know, and I feel like Dee probably resented her mother in some instances because it's like, well, because of my mother, I can't date. But it, mm. well, hold up, because Dee's mother was dating. Okay, she had a Valentine's Day and Dee didn't. I'm just Dee's saying. mother was dating, but I also feel like Dee would have, I feel like Dee, she would have been more open to dating. I think that uh, her view on dating was kind of skewed because of her taking on that caretaker role, because of all of that resentment, because of all of that emotional baggage. I feel like her view on dating shifted and she had to like weed through these fuck boys because there was a couple dudes on the show that she dated that was like horrible, just terrible. Trash. I feel like that, you know, of course you got to write that in to kind of give her a a character, like her, her character purpose. And so that I think that was like what it was like. She just dated trash men as if she wasn't worthy of something better. 
And that's why I felt like she might have been suffering from that low self-esteem, from having that super successful sister, possibly her not feeling happy with where her life was, the added stress of um, taking on being a caretaker role and being single and really wanting to be at a place where she really wanted to be a parent and was willing to let Sean and Marla pretend to be her husband to try to make that happen. Like all of those different things, I did feel like she just needed some needed some some love some some self-love yeah. and when I say love I mean self-love and I think that that also might be because she did have the one boyfriend who was like super cool and was super in love with her and I felt like um maybe if she was able to give herself a little bit more of that love and see how deserving she was that maybe more of um the relationships that she did enter could have been a little bit more healthy because that one jeweler dude just completely took advantage of her because she was willing to be taken advantage of but i did and i appreciated sean and marlon for like as soon as d came onto the show she basically was a part of their family and so they looked out for her in that episode and they looked out for her a lot and wanted to make sure and pops too like d is super sweet and so they wanted to make sure that whoever was coming into their life was coming into her life um was deserving of her time and her love because they knew that you know d isn't gonna be the best one to pick them so let's make we have to step up and make sure that this we got to check this person out and make sure that they okay and if they not then we have to work it out so that D can see that they don't they don't deserve her time. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so real fast, we have talked about our main characters, which are Sean, Marlon, Pops, and D. Um, there were a couple other uh, characters that were on the fray a little bit who got brought in, got brought out that I wanted to touch on a little bit too. Um, so of course, there was the amazing, incomparable, just one of the most, one of my earliest most beautiful representations of womanhood is Janet Dubois. And so her being grandma, <laughs> even though they had to dress her up to make her older because she actually was younger than Pops, but I just loved her as grandma. She was so funny. <laughs> and I felt that um, they kind of had her, her character was going through um, Erickson's uh, final life stage of that integrity versus despair, where she was kind of looking back on life and realized that she wanted to spend more time with her her grandsons. And so then she came back and was more involved in their life. And then after she felt like um, they had solidified their relationship completely, then she moved on and got her, um, her little boyfriend that was making the... <laughs> The tacos, they're worth it. <laughs> <laughs> what was with them in speaking Spanish randomly? Mira, I feel like they said mira so much. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, so I felt like grandma was just um, working her way through that stages. Did you have any thoughts on grandma? No, I didn't. Nothing else. To add All right, more. then on to um, Monique, who was... Uh, a character who started early on the show, but then kind of phased out as they grew the D's character a little bit more. And she was the main other person in the lobby with them. And I felt like uh, Monique was suffering from adjustment disorder because yes. her father was convicted of whatever crime it was that froze all his assets. And she just could not deal with being broke. And she was she was really struggling with it. And so I felt like that uh, was representative for her with adjustment disorder. Which uh that's who that they went in on. They went in on Monique so hard for being broke. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny. I was like, damn, they have to do her like that. 
I let her take it because she can't afford <laughs> to buy it. Bring it right back. Let her bring it back. <laughs> I'm sorry, I cut you off. What were you, what were you no, saying? No, no, no. You were right. That needed to be highlighted. <laughs> um, I was just going to say for her, um, adjustment disorder was characterized by the market stress. Oh, sorry. Market marked distress that is out of proportion of the severity or intensity of the stressor, taking into account the external context and cultural factors that might influence symptom severity and presentation and significant impairment in social, occupational, and other important areas of functioning. Her being broke and all her assets being frozen just shut down her whole life. So she was working as a card girl, uh, Mm -hmm. lying, telling everybody she was, what she told, she was an art dealer. (laughs) And and then she was a a something, she was somebody's assistant, some high-end person that she was trying to connect herself to. She was always something other than what she Yeah. And I felt like she was just really struggling from being at a certain status and then being knocked down to where she was and her just figuring out what life is and means from there. And I feel like while Sean and Marlon were broke and that was like one of the the key points of the show was that they were broke. They still was out here living life. They still was having good times. They still was dating and making it happen. And um, so I appreciated that. (laughs) And that brings me to uh, my last character that I diagnosed, which I didn't want to diagnose him, but the way they wrote his character, I had to. So Dupree. Oh, yeah. Steal from Juice. (laughs) They wrote him having a binge eating disorder. Cause I still want that big neither, but they just made, they called him Nestle Snipes. They didn't have to do it like that. Sean swiped his his credit card on the back of his neck. It just... <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> they didn't have to do him like that. They didn't, mm-hmm. but they wrote him that way. And so, uh, <laughs> well, we uh, for the characteristics of or the criteria for binge eating disorder that I felt like do prefit was the eating much more rapidly than normal eating until uncomfortably full, eating large amounts of food when not feeling physically hungry, um, a sense of lack of control, overeating during episodes, all of that. And I just felt like he fit those things and he didn't have to. He could have just been their friend who was around. <laughs> the the level of body shaming that happened in our television shows with Oof. individuals who were bigger versus those who weren't, even, even with D body shaming herself, mm-hmm. you know, um, it was just like, damn. So to also include that for him, it was like, we didn't necessarily need it, but we get it. We always had that. We're, there's always that one character that eats too damn much. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every episode has a character that eats too much, or is that a freeloader? And I mean, well, in every in every show that we've done so far, there's mm-hmm. been one character that eats excessively. One that is um, overweight or like has weight issues, um, and then another character that is dense or is mm-hmm. is playing, you know, into this. Um, I don't know. Being dumb. Or, you're dumb. Just, just dumb. You're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not sugarcoat it. Just dumb. <laughs> just dumb. Uh, so yes, <laughs> I should I should take your uh, you know uphold my New York demeanor. You're dumb. <laughs> 
<laughs> are you dumb? When you said it that way, that's what it made me. I was like, it made me just feel like Remy Ma. But are you dumb? <laughs> dumb. <laughs> I like that. I feel like they balanced Marlon, which was why I was able to, I feel like, diagnose him with ADHD. I was like, well, maybe just some of that was because he wasn't listening. He was being inattentive and he just didn't get it. And I feel mm-hmm. like they balanced it a little bit with Marlon. But I feel like on some of them other shows, like people were just like unnecessarily stupid. <laughs> <laughs> funny like yeah no we should be helping this person we shouldn't be laughing at them but maybe that's why we grew up and became counselors you never know so on that note if you would like to support the show to help us get more content out to you all you can visit our website and follow the support the show link to become a patreon member merch don't forget to merch (laughs) so like i was saying you can become a patreon member you could donate on our cash app or you could just go buy our merch. <laughs> now, we're happy to get the kind of money that jingles, but we'd rather the kind that folds. As always, be sure to follow us on Instagram at the DSM podcast and you, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts. While you're there, go ahead and leave us a comment because we are counselors and we actually care about what you have to say. Until next time, y'all. Peace. Okay, bye.